All right, joining the pod, I have Seth Part now. Now, let me go through here. I'm looking at your your Twitter here to make sure I have all the different job titles correct here. So, <laughs> currently, director of North American Sports at Statsbomb. We had uh, your boss uh, Ted Knutson on the on the pod a, a number of months ago. So, you're working with him there. Are you still currently an author of The Athletic? Should I ask, since they've just laid off people over there? Are you still doing any work there? I, I, I do still contribute to The Athletic, do some podcasting there. Uh, I'm sort of the uh, internal basketball analytics consulting arm for, for the writing staff there. Okay, so we're, we're, we're still in good standing there. Previously, director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks. I mistakenly said Minnesota Timberwolves as we were leading into this. But, you know, at least, you know, at least some of the letters are correct there. Um, when we're talking about this, uh, Mastodon, how, how, how are things going to Mastodon? I, it's, you know, I haven't updated my, uh, <laughs> I, 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 there's probably some social that I can, I can, I can alter. I, I made, uh, you know, I try, I, I've tried out the various platforms as, uh, as Elon Musk's Twitter has done what Elon Musk's Twitter has done. But there's another one too, blue something, blue, blue sky. Yeah. Blue sky. Um, I see. I, that's just like yeah. Minnesota, Milwaukee. I can't yeah. get these things. Spoutable right. is another one. Uh, Spoutable. none of them have really, none of them seem like they've really hit yet. Okay. Well, we'll yeah, we'll see what happens. Someone can buy uh, Twitter when it files for bankruptcy and comes out of bankruptcy in another uh, six months or so. Okay. So I'm hitting, I hit everything there. And, you know, as part of my extensive research that I do for this podcast, I was listening to a podcast that you had done in the past with, with Ben Taylor of thinking basketball, who I'm going to have on this pod in a bit here. And I was like, this is great. I could, you know, listen to both perspectives. I can get kind of some, some overarching philosophy, philosophy of analytics, everything else. And then I just proceeded to hear an hour of talk about whether uh, Rudy Gobert is underrated or severely underrated. So you you didn't help me out there. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) That's well, that, that, that's, that's a take <laughs> that maybe hasn't hasn't it was a it was a, uh, a rough I think you were in the more Islands. underrated camp. You were in yeah. the more underrated camp, but you know a guy who falls into okay, Jokic probably falls into like in, in a different sort of way. Obviously, much more of an offensive focus uh, um, than a defensive focus with with Gobert, but probably would also have been like a nerd favorite before this whole run versus you know your your basketball guys your 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 hooper guys like who they're they're just sticking to um how they feel and playoffs and what matters and all those sorts of things what do you think about Jokic coming out of this series now um I always look at this kind of like underrated overrated paradigm and I'm seeing some wild takes out there on him on him already about whether or not he could be you know, like the greatest center ever. I think I saw something there. So where do we stand with him right now? In general, I'm, I'm team like calm down about, uh, about like, you know, he won his championship. That's great. Yes. A lot. Like, could he reach certain heights? Could he end up with a better career than Steph Curry? Could he end up as a, yes, these things are in play, but let's let them play instead of like, annoying them to begin with. So I, I, I don't really want to get ahead of ourselves by imagining like, yes, if he wins three titles in the next five years and, and you know, all these things, well, yes, well, we will think of him, you know, in sort of someplace in the firmament. And the fact that that's in play says a lot, but let's let it, let it, let it breathe. Let the thing happen instead of trying to be, let's be right rather than first, I guess is, is what I'll say about this. Um, so you you mentioned uh, uh, statistical darling. The interesting thing about about Jokic is he's a guy who, even going back to in his draft profile, he was a guy who was kind of a statistics darling. 
yeah. then you watch him play, and he was not in nearly the the, the, the shape he's in now. He was, I used, I don't know, forty pounds heavier than he is now, and it's like, well, this guy can, this guy knows how to play basketball, but I'm just not sure if he's an NBA level athlete. And then he got to his first summer league, and he was like the third best, pro- third most uh, well known prospect on on the Denver summer league team it was a very good summer league team. And, but there's a guy named Emmanuel Moutier who was a very high guard prospect who was like the guy on that team who was, everyone's excited about, uh, but you watched, it was like, yeah, that Jokic, you know, I, he's not, a, he, he's below the rim player. He's not fast, but he knows how to play. Maybe he could be something. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years and it's, it's uh, he becomes an all-star player. And then, you know, has been, certainly arguably the best player in, in the world over the last three years. So just the, the, you could see something was there, but um, I think anyone who tells you that they saw this would be absolutely have been lying to you. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think this, I guess I'm just trying to get like, I, I guess I still put him in the category. Maybe I'm wrong and you can correct me on this, that if somehow I don't know. Obviously, it wasn't really close to going sideways against the Lakers. But if, if if it had gone sideways against, I don't know, the Suns, let's say, and they didn't end up getting out of that series, wouldn't he have still been put in this larger bucket of like, yeah, regular season MVP, but can't get it done in the playoffs because the playoffs are different for all of these reasons. And I, mean, I do think in the NBA, there is like a bigger difference between the playoffs and the regular season than there is in the NFL and other places. Um, but he still would have like I think it's a pretty dramatic difference, right? If he would have if you would have gone out against the Suns versus making this run here, he's gonna be, historically, and this is just the way that it ends up sometimes, based upon the same exact player, a few results go differently. Like this has been a huge boost to his like historical standing in the eyes of many who would have discounted him with another early-ish playoff exit. Uh, I mean, my response to that is, where have you been? I think that that you know once you. You know, if if yes, if you just look well, he lost in the first and second round in the last two years, and you pretend we know nothing else. Like there's no, well, nothing else happened. So, the fact that some that people he, do that though, some people yeah. do do that though. Yeah, I mean the, the the like the fact that he was playing with you know the you know his starting point guard in the last two playoffs is not in the NBA anymore. In 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 Facuno Campazzo, like the like his uh, the starting two guard from last year was like the ninth man on Minnesota in Austin rivers. So um, like that kind of matters uh, that, that you, you have to be the guy and you have to have, you know, the people around you. I think that the number of players who in this era could be like, it doesn't matter who you have. They just win. Uh, I think is zero. So uh, you know, you have, you might have to go back to like the odds to when the league was, was not as competitive as it is today when you could put whoever around LeBron and they would be competitive. That's not the case anymore. And so the fact that on an individual level, his playoff performances are pretty unassailable and the team didn't have success because the second and fourth best players in the team weren't available. Like it's, it's and, and pretending that that didn't happen as a way of saying, well, this guy who does things differently and is slightly roly poly and isn't a, a vertical athlete and whatnot. Um, it's it's facile and really inattentive to what's actually gone on. Do you think um, did Michael Jordan ruin basketball analysis? Because now I've been an, I've been you know an NBA fan for a long time, kind of trailing off in, in recent years. But I'll say that 
people kind of forget like the the struggles that Jordan had at one point in time, or at least back then it was more like there was a handing of the torch between, let's say, the Celtics to the Pistons and then the Pistons to the Bulls. But the fact that he just won out for his career, other than the late comeback, you know, when he was beyond his, uh, you know, the the, the I, I'm discounting the Wizards sort of stuff yeah. to, to come out here, and then other than the half season where he came back and and, and they didn't quite make it. He was the closest thing to saying, like, he had this unbeatable sort of aura around him that I don't think any other player has had. And whether it's it's correct or not, I don't know. But he did win every single championship when they had a full season to do so. Scottie Pippen is a top. I, I'm probably higher on Scottie Pippen historically yeah. than, than most. But Scottie Pippen is a top 50, certainly, maybe even as high as like top 30, top 25 yeah. player of all time. Yeah. So it's not like so it's, it's pretending that it was just like MJ and nobody is like again if we look at what he did he scored sixty three against the Celtics in a playoff game in a game they lost so um, until Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant show up does does he have a lot of play even then like it couldn't just be him um, best player wins is a great starting point for, for basketball analysis, but it also has to be the guys around them that can enable that to happen. Um, you know, there's, there's been, you know, there's been times the last two playoff runs where Jokic maybe wore down because he had to do literally everything. He can, he's a guy who is great in part because he can play a point guard like role at times. But when you actually like all like the, 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 the top two point guards on Denver in, in uh, um, uh, Jamal Murray and Monty Morris, who they then traded, were injured last year. So you're, you're, it's your third string point guard. So he's having to play point guard and center and do everything defensively and score all the time. It's like, yes, he got tired because humans get tired and the NBA is very demanding. So uh, I think that that to get back to actually answering your question, I think yes, in some ways MJ did because there's just like this mythos about like the cult of personality and the one person doing it all on their own, like context, like without any even nod towards the context of which of who they're playing with, who they're playing against that factors in. I, I do think that that has made us um, as a uh, broadly speaking, very surface level and facile about our basketball analysis. It's like, you know, uh, Jimmy Butler failed. Jimmy Butler got the heat to the finals. Like, this, this, they were the eighth seed and they got to the, like, getting there was the, was a triumph. And then they ran into a better team. And that's what happens because 29 teams aren't the best team. Yeah. Well, of course, we all know. Um, Michael Jordan, in fact, never got tired, though. So that was the thing. He would stay up until <laughs> 4 a.m. Right. playing cards, sleep for an hour and a half. Uh, do 36 holes of golf and then go uh, and then go play in the in the NBA finals or so or so or so we're, we're led to believe um, uh, the food poisoning stories and other things uh, along with it. All right. I want to hit you with. OK, so so I didn't even mention your book, Midrange Theory. Everyone should check that out. Got a Kindle uh, copy myself. I just like this quote that you had at the very beginning. So I want to talk about this and this will be an overarching thing. Obviously, you're working with football stuff now so we can talk about some of the differences with basketball, football, analytics, everything else. But I think this this applies to a lot of stuff here. So I'm going to I'm going to quote you to you and then have you respond to yourself. That's always a good good podcasting here. So it says here it says you're talking about your book, Midrange Show. You said this book is not about analytics. I hate analytics. 
not the discipline, mind you, but the word. The word has become hopelessly poisoned, reduced, confused, and misapplied. But we're stuck with the word, so we might as well define it properly. Uh, he says, before we do so, there are plenty of misconceptions to cast aside. So here is what won't be in this book. One neat trick to solve basketball. So what is what let's just talk about this whole word because i've heard people talk about this in the nfl too should should we even use this word should we not be using this word have you come to terms with the fact that we have to use the word despite all of the misconceptions about it and then how do we think about analytics when it comes to any 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 sport um i think we're stuck with it and i think it's unfortunate because i think a lot of things are getting sort of subsumed into various strands there's like you know there's the 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 technological aspect of it which is you know you see this probably most clearly in in baseball where you know teams almost have uh many teams almost have two what we would call analytics groups there's like the analysis group and then the the platform and application group that's that's building the tools that everyone uses to to disseminate the information that's really i mean and that really is what it uh boils down to is uh the the uh programmatic use of information to influence uh decision making um and and that doesn't roll off the tongue in quite the same way um but it's not a it's not a series of tenets of like if you do this that is analytics it's like we think about things this way we start from this point how we ask questions how we gather the information to answer those questions how we disseminate those answers how we build those answers those answers into an overall decision making flow that's really what the thing is um but it gets reduced in our vernacular. Like Moneyball is just like on base percentage, and that's not that's not what Moneyball was. Moneyball was, uh, you know, undervalued undervalued uh, traits. Um, but and the specific example is that um, in NBAs, it's like uh, three pointers are analytics, and that's not that's part that that is a part of it. That was a um, and some empirical work that was enabled by kind of. Uh, the statistical collation, uh, collation of stuff that then you use statistical methodology and almost basic math in many cases leads you to to, to certain realizations about the value of areas of the court. Um, but that's a, that's a, that's an application, not the thing itself. And it gets so and, and and the poisoning is like I don't think the game should be should be played this way, and it's 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 analytics fault. That, that this player made that decision. And that's always kind of players did dumb things before we came along too. You know, it's, it, it's almost, it, it's, it's on um, there. There's a, I'm going to make a very dated reference. There's a, there's a scene in season four of the West wing where, where uh, Josh Molina's character is, is begging for there to be rain so that, suppresses a vote count in an election and he walks outside and he goes come on and it starts raining and then he said wow what else can i do that's sort of how i feel about like all the things that analytics get 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 blamed for it's like oh if i can do that for my next neat trick watch what else i can i can i can ruin i can change so um it's almost become a useful scapegoat for a thing i don't like whether or not that thing has anything to do with what is truly going on in the work of statistical analysis and application and communication and decision-making processes. Yeah. The, the, 
I guess the dichotomy of of thought between how analytics is viewed and how maybe I would think about it. Some of it just has to do purely with this other view of being a certain type of person and a certain type of tool or, you know, using data, using some sort of modeling, some sort of machine learning, some sort of process there. And the certain type of person does it. It's quote unquote analytics where I guess when I try to think about it more holistically and maybe analytics isn't the right word for this holistic sort of view, it's kind of just using the best tool for the most insight or value that you can get. And sometimes it is those things. Sometimes it's not those things. But then how do we bring those two things together when like you worked within uh, an MBA organization and you are the director of research? Does it end up being like a siloed sort of thing, though, inside these organizations where it's okay? that's our analytics, which is certain person using certain tools for certain insights, whereas it should be no, we're looking at everything in this kind of thoughtful, intentional sort of way. And sometimes we're doing this and sometimes we're doing that in order to get the best results. So this is something that, that comes up, uh, you know, when when I'm not a huge fan of rankings uh, in, in general, but, you know. Got to get those clicks. Yeah, those yeah, clicks. They, they, they do do clicks. Um, I, you know, I, I do player tiers, which is as close as I'm comfortable with doing ratings. Uh, but. We, they, they, you know, they, they, uh, various outlets come out with like the, the analytics ranking, like which organizations are, are the most analytic, analytically forward or, or what have you. And it's really, it's something that is actually more on two axes than rather this team is or isn't. There's kind of level of investment on, on kind of as, as one dimension and then level of, of, I guess you would call integration as the other one. And there are teams that have very like low dollar amount, low, uh, uh, head count. I, you know, um, I, I think the Denver, like the nuggets basically only had had one dedicated analytics staffer prior to this season, but they've been an organization that has gotten a ton out of it. Like congratulations and shout out to they, Lane Vashro. At, they have at, a weird, they have a weird structure. I don't know if they still have it, but like Cronky used to have a separate analytics organization that was somehow advising because he has the Avalanche too, right? Yeah. And then and yeah. then the Rams, and then I guess Arsenal also, but yeah. that's probably a whole separate thing. Um, and where he was kind of like advising all those. I don't know if they had like integration or adoption, as you know, as you might say, but I guess they had some other staffers outside of the Nuggets, which may have fed some information into them. That group eventually got folded back into the the uh, the teams. It was um, it did um, okay. okay. It, it was the unfortunately the exec who was uh, kind of overseeing that 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 project. Um, uh, uh, Brett Barrett, who's a, a wonderful human being, who uh, was one of the great storytellers I've ever met, but he was kind of, that was his vision. And he passed away, unfortunately, uh, a, a couple of years ago. And after he died, they, they kind of, but it was like the people from that who had been working with the Avs, then embedded with the Avs. And a lot of the success that they've had is, uh, you know, they have influenced the success. I, I, I'm hesitant to give credit to one thing or another because any of these decisions are very multivariate. And so, like, well, which one of those did the did the did the 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 analyst push over the line? I don't know. But it's like over time, you have the influence, you make better decisions. Um, and then Lane has been first with the Cronky Sports Group, and then with the the the, the Nuggets has been there half a decade or like it was six or seven years. And, but he was basically a one man shop for a long time, but he was integrated into their process at a, you know, at a 
start from we're answering the asking the questions. You're in the room when we're asking the questions. So you know what we care about. So all through the process, you can address those questions, not the sort of garbled version that we know how to ask. This is, um, and there are teams uh, on the flip side, and I won't name, I won't, I'll, I'll withhold names to protect the guilty, but there are teams that are spending a lot of money, have a lot of people that get nothing out of it because it's they're just this group in the basement that's tapping away on their computers and they send reports out and it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an adjunct. It's a, it's, it is, it is completely siloed off. So um, you can get a lot with a little, as long as you use it correctly, as long as you make it about asking the question, not like, not like you're looking up a, a you know, it's not you're just looking up a stat on on whether it's basketball, football, hockey reference or whatever. You're asking the question and then figuring out how from the available data to answer it. Now, sometimes that available data is, in fact, statistical. Sometimes it's it's the more traditional data. And I think that this is where the line of demarcation between like traditional and metrics, I think, is is dumb and antiquated because qualitative data is data in the same way that quantitative data is. And when you really scratch the surface, like there's a lot of qualitative elements in any of the, the so-called quantitative data. Like we have decided this is important and therefore we are tracking it. There's a qualitative element to this is important enough to be, to look out for. And at the same time, like the, you know, using the football example, um, Four three speed is a is 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 quantitative, and that's and that's sort of something that the traditional scouting process has relied on. Um, you know, you've you know yards, attempts, touchdown, whatever, sacks, all of these things. They're, they are they are whether or not they're predictive and useful, some more than others, but those are quantitative. So everyone is using a, a mixture of both, and the sort of bright line demarcation between the two is, is the problem. And the teams that knock that down and say, yes, you're specialized in this area, but you data person and you traditional scout person need to be able to talk to each other, um, both and understand what each other's saying, but also sort of on equal footing as, as colleagues um, so that we collectively come to the best decisions the teams that have set that structure up are the teams that are doing well with it. And the teams that haven't are lighting money on fire. Okay. Well, let's, okay. Where does the buck stop when it comes to making this happen? Is it the, the general manager or the equivalent that really is the person that we care about here? Is it, I don't know, some, some other level of the organization. Is it the head of research and how they are able to influence and, uh, I don't know, sell, you know, in a way and establish relationships and do those sort of things. Um, in the NBA, can it even be some of the players who are very influential, which I don't think is really the case in the NFL, but maybe in the NBA, players actually have sway because you're scared about losing players in a way that you aren't necessarily in the NFL. Who Who, who is the person that's going to help make this happen more than anyone else? Or does it have to be a, a combination? Uh, to some degree, it's a combination. I think it can happen at the... You know, we have a lot of uh, esoteric titles that the lead decision maker in basketball ops has, but we colloquially yeah. call them GMs. Right. It, it can start with the GM, but really the most, 
the 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 surest way to make sure it happens is if it's something kind of from ownership. We are going to do things this way, um, and those are and and those tend to be now. Sometimes it is that has been the GM has managed upwards to say, "Hey, we're going to spend money on this and integrate this in our process." Are you cool with that? And then yes, and then that's how the organization runs. Um, I would say that the the sort of the head of research, the head of analytics or whatever, um, I don't think they can create that culture, but they can break it if they are um, a bad communicator. Um, it's an interesting thing about like the, 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 the analysts, certainly the head analyst, the head of research position is it is, I mean, I think you mentioned that they're bad at selling. It's a sales job. Yeah. It's, you've got to like, you have to, and by the way, that's not a pejorative. Like, scouting is sales too you're convincing the room that like this guy is good or bad and should be wherever he is on our draft board like you have to not just well i watched the tape and he's great it's like okay well (laughs) cool um you have to you have to tell a story that people buy and um some of the failings of adoption are i think um on the the analyst side for not communicating well Okay. Um, well, okay. When it comes to the sales side of it, I'm interested in this because there's often discussions in the public sphere where um, analytical types will be accused, sometimes fairly, of arrogance, for lack of a better word, or what we may deem as overconfidence in different opinions. And I think often it's not that they're any more confident than another type of opinion, but there's like an inherent legitimacy that's seen in certain opinions versus other opinions. So we're talking about, let's say, you versus in an organization versus a scout who has, you know, played whatever, did whatever. Like, the, don't you, aren't these things viewed differently, kind of inherently in the degree of confidence you have? And therefore, I always wonder. Like, is it our job as the nerds to then know that and frame things in a different way? Or should we be okay with the fact of saying it's okay that we have this degree of confidence and it's just other people's like natural bias against our opinions in the first place is what's causing this opinion of arrogance. There's a few things to like, I'll I'll take the two sides of that. One, I think when I talked earlier about sort of the top down imposition of we are going to, this is the way we are going to communicate as an organization. Um, part of that is so that we're not, you're not saying that, all right, this is the main decision. And then this other group affects it. You know, they can, right. they can be, a, they can, they can nudge up or down or something like that. Um, there's nothing you can do on the, the research side and the analysis side that will overcome that sort of internal uh, thumb of the scale. Like, you can you can you can make the problem worse, but you can't really make it better, because that that's the organ the way the organization has chosen to run, either implicitly or explicitly, is that we base our decisions on this, and then we check the box of talking to, and it's not just analytics; it's like background intel, it's medical, it's you know all these other other factors that 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 might play in. Um, on the practitioner side. I think the first thing you have to start with is realize that 
just by putting a number on something, you're giving the appearance of sort of certainty and precision that I think that's something that we, since we as practitioners sort of know, well, that's not a, that's not a, uh, that's not a, that's not a firm value. That's the center point of a distribution. And we have, right, you know, right. we have various confidence intervals around and blah, blah, blah. Like we all internally know that, but when it's communicated externally, it is like that sort of nuance is lost and, and is very difficult to explain actually to, to, to sort of people without, um, a firm grounding in sort of uh, statistical reasoning. And, it, and it's um, always going to be like wrong in a concrete way to right. some degree in the future, right? Like you could right. always point to it and say you were wrong to some degree when you make something that, yeah. that, that, you know, like a finite value basically. Yeah. How come your model doesn't predict that this 36 year old didn't fall off? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, we could we could we could build that into the model and then the the model would be worse overall and it's going to miss on some people what do you want from me but no i mean it's so but but starting from that standpoint so you do have to recognize that there is sort of a um whatever you say is going to is going to you're going to sound like you're coming in hotter than you actually are yeah kind of just because of that putting a number on thing um and then there's the 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 problem is largely linguistic rather than um if you deliver your findings in basketball, you can present it with the nuance and the why you think this and, and, you know, where, you know, what, what maybe this, this number, this model isn't saying, if you present it in the language of data, that's, that, that's the, even if someone like, you know, it's, 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 even if the, the, the person on the decision maker is, uh, is conversational, they aren't fluent in it. So, I think then getting back again to the sales point, like you have to talk to sport. It has to, the subject matter expertise has to be there. Um, and I think that that's been a change over the last probably decade in sports is I think the advent of tracking data has actually allowed for that sport language to be brought into the data in ways that it maybe wasn't before. Um, in the, in the basketball example, when the best thing we had was play-by-play -play data, there's stuff you can do with it and you can build models and you can player value and stuff like this. And it's, um, okay, well, your model says he's good. Show me the play that, that why he's good. And you, you kind of can't. Um, now with the tracking data, with the event level stuff that you can kind of, you know, use these models to, to then, you know, build, iterate further on to, to sort of value like, like kind of the atomic actions of the game, then you can say, well, he, he does this well, he does that well. Um, he does this more often. And that now we're talking about basketball. We're not talking about numbers. And now we're having a conversation where, oh, wow, I didn't, you know, now that you mentioned that I did kind of see that in the tape, but I didn't realize at the time. Or it's like, I don't agree with that. Let's go back and watch some more and see what we see. So there's a, there's a shared, once you get to that point, there's a, there's a shared language that you can actually have the discussion on. Whereas if you're, if you're in the, the realm of like numbers and algorithms and formulas, you're, you're, you're never going to communicate well because you're literally speaking two different languages. Well, let's, let's, let's start the talk. And this is going to be a, you know, a, a biggish theme of, of what I want to talk about is your experience 
and then continued analysis in the NBA versus what you're doing with Stats Bomb now moving into football. Uh, I guess primarily, would you say in college football is the is the target market now or or no? Uh, I think the college football data is is okay. certainly the 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 um, you know and NFL has the, the NFL tracking data is is pretty good. Um, yeah. So, um, but there is no real, there is not a widespread analog in, in the college space, um, for that. Okay. Okay. So when, so when you're having these conversations with probably a pretty diverse set of, uh, decision makers and all of these different, um, college football programs, is it a lot of deja vu when you're talking about things that, you had to do as far as with, with basketball and getting people to, to understand what you're doing, being able to talk on the same level because you're talking about tracking a little bit more as you were. So using the same language or are there like fundamental differences just between the sports where it makes it more difficult or easier in some ways to be able to get buy-in from decision makers that this has real value for them. Some of both. Okay. Um, there is some, there is definitely some, some deja vu about kind of those, the, that linguistic bit. Um, and, you know, frankly, I, I, I played basketball. I, you know, I, I, I played a couple of years at a deep. So, so speaking the language of, of basketball is something that was, that was, that was fairly easy, like a fairly easy, like taking the number and turning into a basketball thing was, um, and football is much more of a road game for me, but thankfully I have people who work for me who, who have, you know, have, you know, playing and coaching backgrounds who can, who can <laughs> do that at a much higher level than I can. Um, but the differences in the sport um, are pretty interesting and pretty key. Um, a lot of what we do in analytics and across sports in general is you're sort of extrapolating from the past. It's like when this thing has happened with these contextual factors, the outcome has been whatever, you know, if you're talking about a, you know, trying to do a, a shot quality model in, in, in the NBA by and large um, the, the, whatever shot this guy takes that has been over the 10 years we have tracking data. Now there's probably been 10,000 shots that are pretty similar. So that gives us a pretty robust sample to kind of know how it operates. Um, plus with there being, you know, a hundred possessions, give or take a game, there's a little bit of margin for error uh, on, on stuff. Um, I think with the very, um, you know, as next to baseball is hey everybody. More, this was a free uh, version of a paid subscriber podcast at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. And if you cannot afford a subscription at this point, let me know. Either shoot me an email at unexpected pts at gmail.com send me a note or leave a comment on the Substack, or hit me up on twitter at kevin cole triple underscore let me know that you're experiencing some you know financial hardship at this point i will give you a no questions asked six month subscription to the pod you can get these premium podcasts and all of my other premium content thank you so much for listening and more content coming your way next week